This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to All Elite Wrestling and the Elite Extended Universe. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm joined by my good friend, the South Carolina psychopath. It's Mike. What's up, Mike Spears? <laughs> this is something that we probably should give context to immediately. Because probably not. Okay, then we're not going to go with this. Hey, y'all, it's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Uh, I'm engaging in self-care. I've been watching a lot of British light entertainment shows lately, and I've been feeling that I could be a absolute fucking star if they would just fly me out there, put me on, like, Countdown or 8 out of 10 cats, maybe the the quiz for everything, and I could just become a legend. Like, just, just imagine the world where I become an international celebrity, and I think that's a world that we should live in. So that's what that's how I've been coping through this week. You know, but uh, how are you holding up, baby? You know, I'm living. I am uh, donating $27 basically every day to uh, make myself feel good. And uh, I'm basically being um, fendomed by Bernie Sanders to uh, bring myself pleasure. So it all kind of makes sense, to be honest. Um, another guy knows a lot about fendoming. <laughs> Nate. What's up, Nate? <laughs> Uh, just gonna let that go. I think. Hello, <laughs> Mike's. Uh, Mike's comment on the late entertainment show made me think of like the Japanese late entertainment shows and all your like panel talk shows and little oh yeah variety shows they had, which made me think of uh, Japanese media superstar Gact. Oh which yeah, which made yeah. me think of, uh, of course, Final Fantasy Seven. Uh, did you guys check out the Kenny Omega interview on Final Fantasy Seven posted to the official Final Fantasy Seven YouTube page? I have not, but that's only because I don't know when I'm going to play this game. And even though it's a game I played when I was 12, I'm trying to remain spoiler free. I read all the tweets that you retweeted and the thread that I don't, I'm not sure you retweeted all the tweets. So I looked into it and read the thread of tweets. Was there a thread? I did like two tweets. I thought you retweeted a thread of other tweets. I don't know. And I also saw where somebody tweeted a screen, screen grab from an article. That. Oh, from an article. That called Kenny Omega Japanese professional wrestler Kenny Omega. <laughs> that I didn't see. Yeah, okay. it was very funny. Are you anyway, gonna, uh, are no, you I did not the, the remake here. Uh, new, newly minted gamer Aaron Bentley. Is it already available for purchase? Uh, early April, April, April ten or thereabouts. There's a demo out now. I've not purchased it yet. I probably will purchase it though. Frankly, I bought Resident Evil and I really struggled with it. So I'm probably just not, I don't know. I'm probably not built to play video. There games. is a demo. You could try the demo. And see if that's, I suck at it. That's newly released. Yeah, I mean, they're they're pretty easy. It's like, uh, you know, it, it, it pretends to be like an action game, but it's really more of like a, a strategy kind of game, just with like action movement. So yeah, but it's Resident you might Evil be able to handle it. No. I mean, once you learn the, learn the lessons of Resident Evil, it becomes easy. But, uh, you know, it sort of has some hard lessons, I think. Yeah, basically, uh, it's a lot easier for me to just pull up uh, the racing games I have and just like drive around a track. Like that's easier. Okay. So yeah, try the demo. 
It's okay. now in the uh, it's now in the uh, you know elite extended universe by way of this Kenny Omega interview. I think so. It, it's true. your uh, it's your journalistic responsibility. That's good. We can do a Patreon episode about Final Fantasy VII remake, or we could do yeah. one about Gact because now Gact is now a member of the Everything Elite Extended Universe. I watched a lot of Gact when we were in Japan. He was on television like three nights in a row, and you know, not really understanding who Gact was, except <laughs> that he was in one of these Final Fantasy games for some reason, and also not understanding what he was saying. It was clear that he's very charismatic. I'm like, okay, yeah. I, this guy definitely has comedic timing. He's you know. Very dashing. I, I kind of get the gact appeal. You see, this is why I think I could become a global star. I could be a tel- I could be a talent on these panels. I mean, because because you think you have a lot in common with gact. Oh yeah, I mean, I definitely was in a J metal band, and I forgot what kind of metal he was in. I've done that before. I'm charming. I have not had the amount of plastic surgery he's had, however. Mm. But I, I mean, I just like watch these panel shows, and I'm like, I could do this. Like I, guys, this show might be holding me back from like my worldwide legacy of becoming oh, just an oh, air our fault. It's, our <laughs> oh, oh, wow. it's the obligation the obligation mm. here wow you, uh, you all can tell how how well mentally i'm doing this week right now thing <laughs> that i'm just going completely to batshit mode within four minutes i was gonna say in fairness even if we did a gacked episode i don't think that would be the first mention of gacked on everything elite or on our patreon because i know we talked about gacked on our japan review episode yeah, if, if folks, if this is driving you wild right now, if you can't get enough of this GAC chat, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash everything. Was, GAC was the one who did the thing with like Kiss or whatever on New Year's, right? No, so that was Yoshiki. That oh. was Yoshiki from oh, X Japan. Um, who is, they kind of, they kind of have uh, similar vibes, I think. Yeah, they're both um, visual K bands. That was where I was thinking about earlier. And they both visual have K. like, you know, feathery highlighted hair kind of deal going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Gax is a little shorter and and more up, while Yoshiki is a little straighter and longer. I think was uh, Gax was Gax a member of X Japan? I think Gax. No, he was a member of Malice Miser. So I just looked this right. up. Okay. I was like, oh, maybe he played bass at X Japan or something. I, I thought he was connected one fashion or the other, but I uh, I guess it's like just part of the overall visual case scene. So that makes sense. I'm thinking right now about the people who tune into this show who are really just AEW fans, like. That's what they're into. Maybe they don't really watch other wrestling. They're just kind of like into AEW. And uh, they got no fucking clue what's going on right now. <laughs> I hope they'll stick around, basically. Hey, we're, we love to broaden people's horizons. I mean, X-Japan has sold out Madison Square Garden infinitely more times than AEW has. And even a couple more times than New Japan has. So they're, uh, you know, they're, they're worldwide players here. It's them and Bruno Sammartino. The two of them, but like, like yeah. two most important acts in Madison Square Garden history. Okay, well, if you're just dying to hear more about this, or if you just want to, you know, ask us to never talk about Gact again, follow us on Twitter at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, you can find the spellings of all those on the Everything AEW account. Subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it. I hear people say this on podcast, so I'm going to say it. It really helps with the iTunes algorithm if you do those things. I think that's a thing. Maybe people will find this who listen to AEW or who watch AEW and want to know more about GACT. Yeah, recommend this podcast to your GACT-loving friends. <laughs> uh, on the show tonight, we are going to play Elite or Delete. We're going to run down Dynamite. We're going to talk ratings. We got some Lance Archer talk. We might even have some Matt Hardy talk by the end of this episode. We're going to start, of course, 
with the game, I believe is still sweeping the nation, elite or delete. In fact, I mean, we got some shit from Kara, friend of the show Kara, for this on the basis that delete brings to mind for her uh, Matt Hardy and the broken universe. But I think what's happened is this game has manifested Matt Hardy in the AEW. All the big power players from AEW listen to this podcast and they thought, well, shit, if there's a, a delete part of our show, we have to stop that by getting the delete guy. And on top of that, I mean, when we get into Matt Hardy, we can talk about how he's developing the most well, most well layered and deep character of his entire career coming up here. So, I mean, it, whoa, it's whoa. all inspiration. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think it's the most layered character in wrestling history. Well, I I take that back and I apologize. Most layered wrestler in history could be coming to AEW. So just get ready for that. Hey, buddy, you're first. What's your elite pick of the week? My elite pick of the week is going to be the crowd here in Colorado, I think. I think the crowd really did a good job of boosting this show which could have fallen flat in front of lesser crowds and was with every segment, was with every act on the show, knew all the characters, followed along. You know, uh, kind of a kind of a trite point at this point that the AEW crowds are good and want the show to succeed and pop for the right things and, you know, follow the logic of the match. When people are acting heelish, they start booing them. These are all well-established points, but... You know, ticket sales started off slow in Colorado, um, eventually picked up. Uh, you know, maybe announcing matches further in advance would help, but of course, tough to do on a shortened week coming off the pay-per-view. But nonetheless, really felt like a particularly hot episode, despite not having Kenny Omega, despite not having Nick Jackson, uh, despite not having an announced Cody match, uh, you know, despite all these mainstays of your program, not being advertised on this uh, on this card or you know, m many of them even appearing, still felt like a hot and important episode. Yeah, this crowd stayed up from the uh, first segment with Moxley in the crowd through the last segment with Moxley as well. So I think that this show provided a lot for the fans to sink their teeth into, at least live. I mean, there was crazy brawls. There was a little bit of everything that you see in all elite wrestling. And I mean, it, it's something that's such an important part of the experience and like, how all elite wrestling one of the reasons why i think it's been doing so well is you turn on the show and you see oh okay this crowd is awesome it looks like everyone's having a good time oh when they come nearby i want to go have a good time too and i think that that's a something that's like reflective of when you look at how other programming is on tv like how dead the crowds are how kind of paint by numbers and broken brain it is and you're like that seems like hell i don't want to participate in that but i think that the that having Having solid crowds has perpetuated having solid crowds because I think each week now people are going out there and are like, hey, well, they all had a good time. We we're but Denver's better than Kansas City. But like, let's show let's show up and let's see what we can do. So, uh, yeah, I think this was a hot crowd. And I think it added something in the show that ended up kind of being like the start of chapter two for AEW. And I think that that was a really strong point in its benefit. I think it's interesting what you said, Nate, about that the, the AEW crowds, which we talked about all along, they'll they pretty much go along with what they're supposed to go along with. And on the Revolution Instant Reaction show that we did on Patreon, and I think last week on the show, we talked a lot about how the crowd is reacting to Adam Page. 
in this whole story versus how they react to the Bucks. And so far, I still think it's, I still think this is a point of contention, but I still think it's, they're getting the reactions that they're trying to get to this point. But it's fascinating to see, like, depending on whether they go harder with Adam Page as a heel, which I'm not sure if they lean into this week or not. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But I'm fascinated to see what happens if the crowd won't go along with it. Or will they just say, like, okay, if you want Adam Page to be a heel, then then we'll boo him. That's fine. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. I think there I think what's been well done about the company to this point is they probably are not going to risk putting the crowd in that position. You know, that's sort of my my thinking. It's rather than try to push a controversial or uh, you know, uh, thread a tough needle on that point, you know, just go along with what the crowd's given them and 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 you're going to I think get a get a more consistent and uh, and well-behaved crowd, I guess. All right, Mike, your elite pick for this week? I'm going to do a little bit of a fake out. You think I would talk about my new favorite trio in wrestling, the Death Triangle, Charlinguar Del Norte. No, I'm talking about the awesome main event match where I think that I'm someone that I find uh, outright handicap matches pretty boring because there's only so much you can really do because you always have the heels with the advantage and the baby face, but... My God, like this might be my favorite handicap match in history, which I know is a low bar, as I just said, but just was great stuff. The way they kind of set it up and Darby just commanding the ring for a good 20 minute period. Like I noticed when like the match hit the ring, the bell rang, there was still like 20 minutes left on the show. And they that's a point of confidence in Darby Allen that they knew, hey, we can give you 20 minutes and you're going to basically have 17 minutes of your ass getting kicked and then like three minutes of absolute fire and didn't burn out the crowd, did not fall flat, and it just was incredible stuff there. I think they told a really strong story throughout the match, and in a lot of ways, this, this could be a blood and guts preview because you see what happens. Like, if you're someone that really has not experienced what a war game-style match is, okay, the idea of the two-on-one advantage, the wrestling, like the heels have the advantage, and they beat the crap out of the baby faces for whatever amount of time, and... Just great stuff. I thought the finish with the anti-air Judas effect was amazing, and Darby just took it like an absolute chance, champ because Darby's a crazy person. And it just like everything about this match was success. You had like the the moments of okay, now he wiped out both the guys, but he knows that he's going to get bullshit as soon as the inner circle hits the ring because he could expect that knowing how they were, and he decides to try to take on all five on warrants at once. I think it's just like a incredibly well-told story and it was the thing that in a show that kind of set the stage for the next three months this is going to be a thing that i really remember going forward yeah and had some memorable spots within the match itself the spot where darby was his own hot tag was just like you know uh totally original rick knox sold it like he actually tagged himself in just like a great little unique thing that plays on our expectations and our understandings of wrestling and, and, you know, what we see have seen a thousand times and, you know, a thousand other companies. He's just like, no, I'm going to tag myself. Fuck you. Uh, he was awesome. You know, I've talked a lot about how Darby's work. He does a really good job of like using his momentum and using his whole size and speed and body to like make his wrestling logical. Even when he's small and working against bigger guys, you see that in a lot of his offense uh, in this match, he like did that, but it was like, if he had a little bit of momentum, he'd go and fly into the other guy in the corner and take him off the apron. Really like a, he just, he sold the idea that he was one scrappy guy, 
you know, valiantly defending himself against two other guys really well in that sense. And, you know, just like the little things, like when he gets in a submission hold, you know, you've seen it a million times where the guys near the ropes, near the ropes, near the ropes, goes to reach for the ropes. And it's like, oh, he clearly could have grabbed that rope, you know, five minutes ago instead of staying there and milking that hold. Whereas Darby goes for the big reach when he's just out of reach of the rope. So it's like he touched, he almost gets it with his fingers, but not quite. And it's just like that makes you that much more sympathetic for him, you know, casts him in a different light than it casts everybody else in every other submission hold. It's like, oh, he's fighting, but, you know, he has to go a little bit further than everybody else has to go, but he's going to still keep doing it. So thought the match was awesome. Um, I'll throw I'll throw it to you, Aaron, but also I want to ask, did it bother you guys that Darby didn't go help Moxley in the concourse and that he just wrestled the match instead, or does that did you just ignore that because it's like, well, we know the match is happening. That didn't bother me at the time because it's like, well, they have to, you know, Darby knows he's supposed to have this match and he, there's not really a, a cemented Darby Moxley alliance. Mm-hmm. And I mean, well, and to that end, was it on the screen? Do we know that Darby knew it was happening? Well, crowd was reacting to it. So, so it had to be on I, the screen, right? I think there was also one wide shot where we saw the whole ring and the arena. And I think it was on the, you know, it looked like Darby was looking up at something there. So, well, I, I, you know, think... I just, it didn't, it didn't bother me, but I did see a lot of reactions like, oh, what the fuck? Darby's just leaving them to get beaten up or whatever. I can see that. I don't know. I don't have a strong feeling about it. That's, which is bad for podcasting, but I just, I don't have a strong take on that. It, at some point, you have to have this wrestling match. So, Hey, if there's one thing we know, AEW is about competition, and Darby was in there to compete. That's right. Um, yeah, I'm the same way. It didn't. I totally understand it as a valid thing that probably bothered people, but it just seemed like okay, you know, this is this is what they're gonna do. Didn't uh, didn't chafe me. Yeah, I I saw that he was watching it on the screen, but I got that kind of sense. Like, yeah, they've tag team before, but it's not like there's like an established like unit with the two of them. And Darby also wanting it to have a piece of Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara still like, would he be willing to do that versus save the champion? Or would he want to get a piece of two guys who pretty much tormented him for the last like three months? Like I think that Darby's totally justified saying there. All right. My elite pick of the week is a little squishy. Eh, I don't know. I talked a lot. Well, here's my thing. I want to give AW a lot of credit because they fixed a problem that they had in this promotion, which gives me hope they will fix some of the other problems. But this problem was the absolute dearth of momentum they had in between when full gear happened and the beginning of the time between full gear and revolution. It was at times the show was like a little monotonous. It was a little bit like, well, where are we going here? You had a a hard time before you got to really building the big programs. So Mike and I talked on AW Light this week. What are they going to do to start even getting us to this Blood and Guts show on March 25th? What are they going to do to start thinking about moving toward Double or Nothing? And they didn't really give us anything for either show, but they gave us lots of interesting things. So lots of stuff to think about, lots of stuff to play out over these next several weeks and the threads of those can build to those shows. So I'm just excited that they did some fun things instead of rematches from the pay-per-view or just kind of dumb stuff that 
uh, isn't going anywhere. And they built up stuff from the pay-per-view too. I mean, the opening, pardon me, the opening eight person tag was built off of the stuff from the buy-in. So I mean, like they were taking that as, as a little bit of fuel for things. And then you also had stuff where like pack has had kind of this off and on thing with best friends for a while. And we got to see the next step with that, with death triangle. And even though like, there's not definitely a slotting of, okay, this is going to be Moxie's first defense. This is what's going on at the tag team titles, which have been tough with Kenny Omega's possible broken rust. And then what's going on with Nyla Rose. They did a strong two hour block that I I'm going to argue that actually, I think they put some seats in the ground for, if not double or nothing, definitely for blood and guts, because they definitely were showing that uh, inner circle were dominant and kind of were just taking out all the top line faces. And and now you can kind of see over the next two weeks, okay, who's going to be on this baby face team for blood and guts? Because that does seem like the obvious road, right? Like, if it's going to be inner circle versus, like, Moxley's militia, or it's going to be inner circle versus elite slash, like, nightmare family, like, it does seem like that that is the obvious uh, endpoint for this, like, short cycle, and I feel like that they plant some seeds to that. Okay, I'm going to segue this into my delete because I basically, I don't disagree. I thought it was a pretty good, very watchable episode where they set up a lot of things, had a lot of angles. All the angles were well executed. You know, pretty much everything hit here. So my complaint is that the just overall tenor of the show or how it was structured, it kind of felt like a good WWE post pay-per-view show. And the reason I say that is started with the with the new champion comes out first thing on the show. That's classic WWE trope. Comes out, does his promo, is confronted by the guy he just beat. They do a talk segment. Very WWE raw. Am I wrong? No. Okay. Um, then you had basically a lot of the feuds or the programs that were on the pay-per-view were just carried right over to this show. Hager and Dustin, you know, uh, uh, Sammy and Darby, Jericho and Moxley. I mean, you know, basically everyone, uh, 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 Pack and Orange, all those feuds appear to be continuing forward, or at least those relationships are continuing forward in that regard. And really with the exception of maybe the SCU and Colt Cabana win, really felt like a lot of heat on this card. It was a lot of the heels that were defeated on the pay-per-view are now getting their heat back by attacking the guys that just beat them. Just felt a lot like, you know, we're not getting any resolution from that revolution show. We're just going to the next step and it's all going to be heat on the baby faces from the guys they just built. And that just felt, you know, kind of felt, Again, it was all well done, but it just the vibe of it felt very WWE, basically, or it felt very, um, you know, status quo in that regard. That, you know, we had Death Triangle set up, we had some other angles set up. Cody has a new program, so that's, uh, you know, a, a, a something on his plate that's fresh. But other than that, they kind of they added new twists to things, but they did not really stir the pot much, if that makes sense. You see, I don't have a lot of problem with them not having a clean line delineation, even though I say, like, even though I've said both on the instant reaction and on here that this felt like chapter one versus chapter two, it made sense why Pack and now Death Triangle still came to with best friends because they still had the unresolved things. Maybe you could say that Jericho and Moxley, that should have been a clear line of delineation where they they kind of 
go their own ways because now it's time for Moxley's run for the title belt. And I understand that, but I feel like for stuff like the inner circle versus the nightmare family, like that's things that there were times in the past where they could have blown it off there. And it does seem like that this was only like a beat towards it and where maybe the final blow off is going to be blood and guts because then you have two months until double or nothing. And that's when you do it. So it isn't necessarily like what the promotion was promising as a breakup or is it just people's like perception of things kind of continuing making this like a post-show raw versus what you were hoping for. Yeah. I don't know. Those, those things didn't bother me, I guess, because it makes sense for, I mean, things can't always end cleanly. And not all of these, some of them, but not all of them were like the big blow off of the feud. You, I agree. Jericho and Moxley, you could have never talked about it again and moved on. But I thought they did a pretty good job of Jericho giving an explanation for why their feud kind of continues. And so I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, we'll talk about all of this stuff as we go through the show. But overall, I just felt like enough new stuff happened that it made me want to tune in next week. So from that perspective, it didn't bother me, even though I can see what you're saying, that there is some stuff that's kind of just, all right, we're lingering. Yeah. And again, it's, it's a, it, it didn't really, again, the show is very enjoyable to watch. Very fun show. The larger issues, is it's hard to strike that balance of pro wrestling is an ongoing infinite story where things are going to, you know, keep returning and, you know, there's never a, a series finale or a season finale. There's always a next show where you have to keep advancing things and, and promoting things in the future. That's one thing you have to balance. The other thing you have to balance is, you know, uh, uh, fans want to believe that things have changed as a result of the big show they just saw, or they want to think that something has been resolved as a result of the big show they just solved. And it just felt more like the former than the latter to me in this show. And, you know, I'm just wondering which... What is the card for this promotion that's going to be like your WrestleMania where it's like, here's the big moment. Here's things paying off. Here's the big celebratory thing that marks the new era. It just feels like this most recent show was not that. And maybe that wasn't their intent, but you know, I, I'm just pointing out that's a tough balance. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think my delete is something that like talking about expectations, the, the, I think that's a good way to kind of say way to mine. I was so stoked for this pack versus Chuck Taylor match. This was a match that for me, these guys have had a lot of collective history over the last 10 years. Of course, pack being a dragon gate guy, but also Chuck Taylor's first big exposure outside of Jakara was in dragon gate USA. So I was really stoked for this and it just was not necessarily the kind of match I was hoping for. And I feel like that this was a match that was a little bit underwhelming, especially for someone like pack who I'm so high on and Chuck Taylor, who is a hate, using this phrase but one that like most sneaky good like underrated people in wrestling has always been chuck taylor over the last decade and just like this for some reason they didn't necessarily mesh in this match kind of disappointed but i am now kind of happy that this they're gonna get another opportunity with what's going to happen with best friends and death triangle so i do i i can't measure this but yeah this match was a match i was looking in going like all right this could be a match that i'm gonna be talking about at the end of the year for this going to rock so much and it wasn't that way so i think like that was another thing about being uh guilty of heightened expectations yeah i'm like to me chuck taylor is uh a kentucky guy 
And so I just love him and I root for him and I'm happy for him. So on one hand, it was just exciting to see him in like a big singles match on national television. But I I do think I wanted more out of it. But to be fair, and we go rounds on this sometimes, Mike, I, I do think Pac can occasionally be pretty plotting in his matches. And I'm not sure that meshes perfectly with like, I'm not sure 2020 Pac and 2020 Chuck Taylor is really like the, the perfect singles match to that's fair to get yeah. both of their both of their talents uh, spotlighted. I really would prefer Chuck Taylor to do the Dustin gimmick from Evolve. Uh, I think that would fit better against Pac in 2020. And like five people saw those shows. So this joke is really getting over. Oh, so you're talking about sneaky, great deathmatch worker Dustin is what you're wanting here. He's, like, he's really like really good at plunder matches. No, no, he's amazing at him. Like, and the great promo by Kenny Johnson saying, hey, maybe y'all should listen to Pac. He's a smart guy. And maybe that's a big turn that makes this the quadrangular de la muerte. That's right. I'll give this match credit that uh, when he did the awful waffle, people bought it and bought that Chuck Taylor might beat Pack, which you know you would never expect that going into the match. So that got a big reaction. Also, they did they had that big botch relatively early on, and I don't. I, it was like Chuck went for a Rana and Pack was going for something else, I think, and they they you know were had crossed wires. And after that, Chuck was like rolling out of the ring or something, and you could see him like smiling or laughing about it. And it, it, that just like summarized Chuck Taylor well to me because I can imagine in his head, he's like, oh, of course I fucked it up. But he just finds the humor in it. It's like, yeah, no, it figures. That, of course I fucked it up. And it's, you know, darkly funny to him or whatever. That was very Chuck to me. And I found that charming. Nate's not going to like my delete pick because I'm building on something that happened last week instead of starting a new story. And that story is simply that I, I said last week that the AEW women's division was like pre Divas Revolution or Women's Revolution WWE. And this was like the fucking classic example of that. They did one women's match on this show. It was about 45 seconds long and it included Leva Bates. I mean, no concern for the women's division shown here. Just, uh, it's, it's sad. It's like a bummer to me because they have a lot of good people. And I believe uh, Riho was in the building. You had Yuka Sakazaki, I believe, in the building. So it's like, there's a lot of, I know Hikaru Shida was in the building with her fucking jump rope. That's all she ever gets to do is jump rope at the at the uh, arenas. So, you know, it's just a set, it's a bummer. It's sad and uh, it sucks. Yeah. And not only was this match a minute, the focus this entire match was all Britt Baker doing commentary, which she's gotten better at commentary, especially doing heel commentary. Like, I don't think that that's debatable, but it just, this match stunk. It was short. It wasn't even like a good squash. And I'm a big swole fan. And it just seems like, is this really how you're going to get big swole over to the, to this roster is putting her in there with Leva Bates. Who's never been that great. Like I'm going, I mean, I'm, I'm being a little delicate there, but she's never been a great wrestler. And you have big swole. Who's someone that does have high end top side, high end like ceiling. And this is like, what are we doing here? Like, you could have done so so many other different things to the people available. You could have like just like looking. Hikaru Shida was on dark for next week, and it's like, oh, you couldn't have just had Shida versus Swole. I saw that live in Charlotte. It was a great match. Like it's just like, what are we doing here, Aaron Bentley? What are we doing here? 
Yeah, obviously I wasn't going to disagree with that um, or with AB's point here. I will disagree with Mike's point because having people get decisive wins is a great way to get people over. That's a that's a good thing. But you know what you could also do is do a second match on the show. Um, would have been easy to fix. Uh, you know, I was I was cheekily tweeting about this from the account earlier because some TNA guy was like, oh, this isn't a fucking problem on TNA. And he's right. It's not. They have women up and down that card, including like in the main events. Um, but somebody was like, oh, well, the alternative here would be to put Leva Bates on national TV. Like, no, that's not the only alternative. They have a lot of women on the roster. Right. Leva Bates is fine for an undercard squash match. Um, you know, they did. They got lost in their match for a minute there. But, you know, going to happen. You beat her in 45 seconds. That's fine. You can also have like a big time match with your, you know, uh, uh, higher level women's talent elsewhere on the show or do promos or do video packages or do any of that. They just don't seem interested in doing it right now. Before I get a tweet, I actually don't know whether Riho and Yuka Sagazaki were in the building. They weren't on dark, so they probably actually weren't there. Uh, Riho was. She did tweet because as she was sitting in the crowd, she saw someone with a Riho t-shirt. Cool that Riho was there and did literally nothing. Oh, no. no that, that wasn't Sheeta. I saw Sheeta did a selfie of, of somebody with a shirt. Sheeta was doing her jump rope as she does every No, time. but I, she tweeted that she was in the building and had somebody with a shirt on. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, regardless, we know Sheeta was there. So, you know, there was other stuff to be done. Uh, so just a bummer. Anyway, that's Elite or Delete. Ratings, quickly, because they're just, it's just the same stuff, basically, every week. AEW, up a little bit this time. So that's new. They've gone from 865,000 to 906,000. Back up to fifth in the demo with a 0.35. That's a at least a four-week high from the numbers that I have here on the run sheet. NXT, up 1,000 viewers to 718,000, dropped to 20th in the demo with a 0.23, which is also what they had last week. AW, again, either wins or ties every demo. They tied in the 50-plus, but won everything else. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing really worth tracking now is to see if they're ever going to break out of this plateau. I mean, you look at how the ratings have been, and the high water mark for the year was on New Year's Day, and they haven't... That they have sniffed it in a demo portion, but not in total viewers. And it just seems like I feel like I've said this like the last few weeks. There is a plateau here. What's going to happen for them to break out of this plateau? I mean, they did finish fifth and higher than NBA game. So the true battle of AEW versus NBA, AEW took the win this week. But really, that's all there is to talk about. Yeah, I will say, uh, you know, Meltzer said that interest in the pay per view was up um, based on, you know, his data to this point or whatever. We don't have buys on that yet. But I would think the post-pay-per-view show being up suggests there was a lot of interest in the pay-per-view. There was a lot of interest in the pay-per-view, you know, results and aftermath. So probably had a good indicator there. Before we get into the rundown of this week's Dynamite, I just want to remind you to check out patreon.com slash everything elite. We've got a lot of new subscribers this month, so I hope that you will join them. On Sunday, we dropped the Revolution Instant Reaction Show, so you can hear all our takes that we recorded late on Sunday night, Monday morning, or no, Saturday night, Sunday morning, about Revolution. Uh, also, of course, Mike and I did AW Light, our Dynamite preview show. And on Friday, Mike is going to drop the Terrace House Party Primer. Yeah. You know, after weeks of us trying to figure out, we still don't truly have a format for it. I just kind of sat down, and as the self-appointed like historian and obsessive of Terrace House, I kind of just put together like a half hour show talking about what Terrace House is, 
like what goes on on it, how to watch it. And I know that there are a lot of EE heads who are big on Terrace House and love us talking about it. And that's something that hopefully is going to continue on further on, on Patreon this month. So check it out. I just got the Pepe. Seems like a real charmer. Yes. Mm. Absolute boy. Just the conversation skills are next level in his second language, you know, uh, being so charitable and charming to Ruka, even as Ruka is exposing himself as just a huge dumbass. Um, really remarkable stuff. Pepe is the absolute boy. Pepe has one of the nicest moments in the in the whole show. So that's good. I'm glad. Yes. Uh, you love Pepe. It's uh, he showed up. I hated him because he's like a very good looking guy. Right. He's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm a I'm a successful uh, mangaka who does my own manga and got that coming out. Oh, I'll, I just model on the side. It's fine. Right. And it's like, you know, getting to live in Japan, even though he's not uh, Japanese, he's just like all the all the girls like love him as soon as he shows up on the show. I'm like this motherfucker. But he wins. <laughs> he, he won me over. I guess he didn't need to win Nate over. Nate was was in from the beginning. No, I mean, you know, the 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 commentators, they were all won over. And I was like, yeah, no, they're right. Like you just see how generous he's being to Ruka in this moment. And goddamn. Yeah, he rules. So I, we got to figure out what's the best way for us to uh, break down the show. I think it's yeah, hard with but... the with the binge format for this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure, you know, this is obviously uh, an AEW adjacent Patreon, so I'm not sure that we need, like, an episode-by-episode breakdown of a television show that involves no one from AEW. (laughs) Yeah, 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 we don't need me, like, going on an hour talking about uh, Pepe's, like, mentorship of Ruka before Hanukkah shows up. Like, we don't need that. We should probably just do, like, the 12-episode blocks. We should probably do, like, one or two episodes per block. Yeah, I think so. That's probably the way to go. So let us know when you get done with the first block, Nate, and we will uh, then we'll start from there. Well, I think I, I think I am right. Uh, Pepe was in the second block. Yeah, he starts okay. in part two for sure. Okay, so it's twelve episodes per okay. block, right? All right. Well, let's all right. Let's all get together then, and we'll do one or two episodes on on the first block. I think that's the way to go. I'm sure people are have not fast forwarded at this point. So next week. At least Nate and I, I think Mike's going to join us. We're going to do a No People Gate review, the, the stardom show on Saturday night that is in Corquin Hall, but we'll have no fans. Uh, stardom just announced today they're canceling all their all the rest of their March shows. So we're going to do a review of that. So that'll be up on the Patreon next week. And of course, Mike and I'll do AW Light. Patreon.com. One of these times you'll remember that I am on the light show every week. And that always fucks me up because... Mike and I sit here and we like do the show, you know, I don't actually yeah. interact. No, with I, 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 I sit in the same spot that I'm in and do the show also. <laughs> it's right. just over right. a period of time, AB. Right. Like I always make sure to include you're, Nate. You're in on your thinking by time. I when am. really that's irrelevant. You're right. You're time right. is fake. That's true. Okay. I'm sorry, Nate. I, I see you. Your part of AW light is valid and I Thank appreciate you. it. I forgive you. Thank you. That means a lot. All right, that's patreon.com slash everything elite. We got three tiers, $3, $5, $8. Join up. We had a new $8 subscriber today. So join up before we run out of $8 subscriber slots. We'll never do that. Week 22 of AEW Dynamite. It started, of course, with a video recap from Revolution. There's a lot of video recaps of the pay-per-view on this, which is cool. I wish they would just go back and do the old... I guess WWE does this too, so it sucks. But just like the still portraits or the still photos from the pay-per-view, that's just like very nostalgic for me, and I love it. 
especially the ones that are in black and white because yes. they have blood. Like, yeah. Yes. I, I think that that there's no going back there, putting the toothpaste back in that tube after the network, and that's when people start showing clips. But yeah, these yeah. music videos are actually always pretty strong stuff. So like, I always enjoy it. This one felt super long though, starting off the show, but makes sense. Yeah, I I noted at one point that Moxley had not started talking yet, and it was eight oh four. So at least four minutes had passed before his first promo started. So Justin Roberts is the first voice that we hear in the arena. He announces the new AW champion, John Moxley. We see Moxley coming out through the crowd. Everybody's, you know, patting him on the back. Which, by the way, just because a wrestler gets close to you does not mean you have a license to touch them. Stop touching wrestlers. That's my opinion. Thank you. All right. Mox comes out. There's a lot of talking on this episode. So I'm going to try not to, like, tell you every word of all the promos and and uh, sum them up a little. But. Mox basically says, he's got the belt. He says, it's beautiful because it because AEW represents pro wrestling. The sport I love is the belt didn't belong to Jericho, doesn't even belong to me. It belongs to the fans who helped will this company into existence, and we brought pro wrestling back. And he talks about how he's happy to defend the belt against anybody, and he says, which I'm sure got Nate excited, he knows it's not over between him and the inner circle. He knows there's coming at, He knows they're coming after him, so he's got a message for them. I dare you. Jericho's music hits. Jericho, he just lets this fucking thing play. He wants to hear the fans sing along, and he is not going to interrupt them. Yeah, I do. It's going to reach a point where I'm like, okay, let's move on with it. Right. Well, Jericho's pretty good at realizing when things are supposed to end, so maybe at some point he'll be like, all right, shut the fuck up. That's right. Our friend Oatgan did point out he really did not hammer the bubbly bit into the ground whatsoever. You know, really hit it you know, uh, exploited it and then backed away from it. On that note, the most recent episode of Talk of J- Jock is Jericho, where he talks about what he believes is the conspiracy to steal the AEW title and revisits all that is a must listen. You know, he makes a pretty good case that the limo driver was involved in some way to, uh, you know, uh, uh, remove the AEW title belt from his possession. Um, but even even accepting that he makes a good case on that, you still get like, fun weird conspiratorial wrestling wrestler thinking elsewhere on the episode so it's a real treat jericho says he doesn't need a belt to be le champion and he says you know basically it's mox's mo to challenge us to come out here uh, he has to note of course that mox's shtick has paid off because the moxley era has begun he asks the crowd if they like it and he responds well i don't i think it sucks ass <laughs> <laughs> just a great Jericho line. And then this is where he starts kind of trying to sow the sow the seeds of a further Jericho Moxley feud because he says that Moxley won the championship based on a lie. He's a cheater. Jericho trained for three months to face a man with one eye. And, of course, Moxley had two good eyes in the match, and he uh, showed us that halfway through the match. Fantastic line. Just great stuff from Jericho here. I mean, this whole, this whole opening segment, even with Moxley's like rally, the troops promo is great. Jericho uh, should have been watching new Japan world. If you're going to be in the promotion, watch the product, bro. That's right. And he says, Moxley has turned the inner circle from a good natured group of guys into a hit squad. They're going to tear the entire roster apart and start with Moxley. And he says, John Moxley, this is the, this is the setup for the whole show, basically. He says, John Moxley will not leave Dynamite on his own two feet. If he does, Chris Jericho will take a 60-day leave of absence from All Elite Wrestling. But Jericho says he's got a plan. Moxley is not as smart as he thinks he is. 
To which Moxley responds, I never said I was a genius. I didn't even graduate high school. Real South Ohio hours here. <laughs> Real South Ohio hours. I appreciate it immensely. Uh, and, and Mox says, this time, uh, he's going to do just what he did Saturday. He's going to send Jericho's ass packing this time for 60 days and make him look like a stupid son of a bitch. I love that Moxley is like considered one of the best promo guys and probably is one of the best promo guys right now. But sometimes he just like says shit instead of like trying to make it a thing that's like a memorable line in a promo. He just kind of like you the way he built this up was like, oh, he's about to say something that's going to catch on as like a phrase, you know. But instead, he just says, I'm going to make you look like a stupid son of a bitch. We went into wrestling after this. SCU and the Dynamite debuting, Colt Cabana, defeated the Dark Order team of Evil Uno, Stu Grayson, John Silver, Alex Reynolds. And ultimately, Colt Cabana pinned Alex Reynolds in his first match with the Superman pin. This was a really fun opener. I like this a whole lot. I thought that Colt in this role is a great position for him. He now tangentially is a member of Stronghearts because, of course, SEU are Stronghearts adjacent. Shima has filled in for Chris Daniels at times. So, yeah, that means that uh, Colt Cabana is a member of Stronghearts. Like, my logic here is sound. I'll not take any arguments contrary to this. But this match was just like a really fun opener. I like, I always like seeing more of the Beaver Boys. So it was great seeing them there. And I like the idea. The, the, the Superman pen from Colt Cabana is just such a ridiculous thing that when it works, I'm just happy. I'm like, well, you got one over on him. Like, that's a dumb pen that they fell for. So take that sucker you lost. Yeah, I do wonder, you know, what the long-term benefit is of giving Colt Cabana a bunch of wins. But I don't wonder what the long-term benefit is of getting the Superman pin over because it's super fun and I want people to buy on the pinfalls, you know, in the same manner that people, you know, buy in on Toro Yano wrap-up or roll-ups. Like, I would like the Superman pin for it to be on that level. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't expect that Colt's going to get, like, a main event push or anything in AEW, so he can work the lower end of the card and largely I think is going to end up being a, a commentary guy, maybe doing some other stuff with the promotion. So I don't know. I will say he got like no reaction coming out, even in this really good crowd, but he got a chant hit by the end of the match. So that's true. There you go. That's true. You know, he, he, he's a good worker. I know people don't want to believe it, but he's like a very veteran practiced worker. He knows all the tricks folks and I right. uh, got this crowd behind him, you know, regardless of how, well, they might have known him in the first place. After the match, Evil Uno gets on the mic. Is it just, and they may be from similar places, and that's why, but he really, every time he talks, I think it's Kevin Steen. <laughs> just, I don't know, similar voices. Maybe I, maybe I just said something racist. He said, the exalted one is furious, and heads will roll. But folks, we still did not find out who the exalted one is. They're now starting to push the story on commentary that maybe the exalted one doesn't exist. Yeah, there was a delete chant, so crowd seemed to think or even expect Matt Hardy on this show. Of course, the Young Bucks turned up on the most recent Matt Hardy vlog, so he's almost, you know, certainly inbound here. Um, but, you know, now a lot of speculation that maybe he's going to be positioned as the guy opposing the Dark Order and the Exalted One. Who knows? We got a video recap of the Young Bucks versus... Hangman Page and Kenny Omega match with quotes from match reviews, but God damn it, not a single quote from our instant reaction show. Yeah, okay. need uh, need need Kenny Johnson to edit these so they include uh, your podcast voice clip in the video package here. 
I will say, I thought this was funny. So this was something that Meltzer had shouted out. Like, when you have a really great match or segment or whatever, it would be smart for AEW to, like, start their own myth-making and, you know, start establishing the lore of their promotion. So sure. I thought they did a really good job here where they're like, hey, this was, like, a big, important thing. This is going to be something that we're going to refer to in our own history going forward. And they did a great job of that. So very funny to take Meltzer's idea for that and then just put Meltzer right in here and be like, <laughs> Dave really liked it, so fucking listen up. And of course, like I like how like they had uh, Wade, Brian, and, and Dave by themselves, but for Justin Barrasso, they had to make sure to put him down as Sports Illustrated. I mean, come on there. Uh, fuck Justin Barrasso. But second, I, we got to, I guess, you know, a match like this when it's like, oh, this was a, an excellent match. We all agree on it. If we're going to review it on the Patreon, maybe we should go ahead and clip our match review and just post that shit on Twitter. So that's that an idea. Just add them directly. Be like, hey, here you go. That's right. Full quote. Plug this right into. <laughs> Notice us. Notice yeah. us. Notice us, Senpai. And we'll get somebody to transcribe it. So, you know, they don't have to do any work. Just plug it right in. We got, we'll have that ready for double or nothing. Brett Baker comes out for commentary. She's brought Tony a, a drink from Starbucks. This is their, their ongoing storyline here. And I think it was spelled T-O-N-I. But they didn't zoom in on the on the cut. So they did T-O-N-E-Y and T-O-N-I. Tony, Tony, Tony. That's the joke, right? Tony, Tony, Tony. Yes, I think that. I think I'm trying making... to think of the third, the, the spelling they haven't done yet. A T-O-N-E with the, e with the with uh, a, apostrophe. With accent. Yeah. Accent yeah. grave or something. Yeah, because yeah. they're such big fans of New Jack Swing. So that's obviously hey, what they're going to be doing here. So are we, judging oh. by our podcast theme song. So I love New Jack Swing. I I don't have to put up my bonafide. Well, I don't okay. want to hear any more complaints about our podcast theme song because it's by the fucking originator of New Jack Swing, Teddy Riley. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll pass on that. So wait, yes. Teddy Riley is this the same as like the uh, the Black Street guy? Yeah, he did really? the remix. That's our theme song. Really? Oh, it's yeah. good. XR theme is good. Now, it, I mean, it's always been good. You should have taken it on my word in the first place. I didn't realize Teddy Riley was involved. Yeah, no, I'm sure I told you. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Next up was a match on the level of Young Bucks versus Omega and Page. I would say Big Swole defeated Leva Bates with the Dirty Dancing. I gotta say though, this is the first time the Dirty Dancing move has looked really good. I thought. Okay, nobody agrees or disagrees. So. Cody MJF video package recap, and that brings out Cody for a promo. He says, losing to MJF is personal, but it's also professional because you make more money if you win. So he'll be okay with it if MJF comes out right now and tells me he won fair and square. It, was there like a directive backstage on this night? Like this was the, the, the lead off surprise was not made about like winner's purses becoming the hot phrase because JR said it twice Excalibur brought it up. He brought it up here. We know that th that pro wrestling is pro wrestling. We know that they're fighting for a title belt, and that's kind of the thing there. We don't need you to kind of say like, "Oh wait, everyone's contract is performance based, and if you don't win, you're not getting like you're only getting your show. You're not getting you're getting your show money. You're not getting your win money." Like that just felt like it was just uh, hacky, I guess maybe, or just like behind the times that like I don't think anyone cares about the idea of winner's purse in, in 2020. Well, you're making that appeal directly to Aaron, but I regret to inform you both that it's actually good to do that. And really there's no separation between the idea of 
winning leads to immediate monetary benefits and this fake title belt that you're all working toward. Of course, because wins and losses matter and they lead to your positioning and your overness with the crowd and whether they'll get a reaction when you get wins leading forward to your possible future as a champion. So if you're going to pretend it's real, then pretend it's real and they're pretending it's real. I thought the commentary on the show was actually very good. Um, even JR like had, you know, uh, recaptured some of his Southern charm or whatever on this show. Like they were plugging tickets and he's like, well, tickets are getting shy in Newark, but we'd love to see you in Rochester. Just like a, like a down home, you know, folksy kind of way to tell people to go buy tickets, which I enjoyed. Tony is in this role of, you know, the guy transported out of time where he gets to see the new wrestling and just be like, you know, stunned by it and amazed by it. And he also plays that role really well and that he actually just roots for the baby faces a lot of the time. And that just like, you know, cues the crowd in like, hey, here's the guy who's fucking enjoying the show and here's who he wants to win. And he does it in like such a joyous way that it's really good. Um, and also during one of the ad breaks, like JR just did like an extended endorsement of Orange Cassidy, uh, basically saying he's he's good as hell. And if you think otherwise, and you're a dumbass and, you know, just very uh, refreshing. And you like to he hear that from JR and you kind of, he, I think a lot of his crouchiness or his perceived crouchiness has faded away. Yeah, I mean, if anybody follows on follows me on Twitter, at least I'm over the winner's purse thing. But you know, I don't need to rehash Mike's arguments with which I agree. The only Jr. thing that I'm that I'm getting tired of, other I mean, other than that, but the other thing I'm getting tired of with Jr. is, which he's done this whole time, go for the pen, don't play to the crowd. Even to the baby faces. It's like, dude, shut the fuck up. That has nothing to do with the story of the match. He's done that forever. Yeah, it's, you know. It wouldn't annoy me so much, except Tony started agreeing with him on this. And it's like, no, you have to be the voice of reason. Well, I think maybe they're doing that to cover for the baby face. Like, oh, he might have pinned him, except that he made this little error and played to the crowd instead of doing this. Maybe that's their thinking. Like, oh, you know, it gives the baby face a little bit of an out for not putting this guy away yet. But. Maybe it's just you know, whatever it's annoying to me. It's like, no it, wrestling in 2020. Like part of it is like doing shit that the crowd thinks is fun. I mean, that's just like, that's how Chuck Taylor is over because sometimes he stops and flexes to the crowd and people think that's funny. So it's good. That's all. Okay. Surprised we talked that much about the first part of the Cody promo, because this is when it really picked up. And I'm shocked that this part did not make the elite section of the show because Jake, the snake Roberts, comes out. He says he hates to spoil Cody's party, but he's tired of listening to him cry and bitch. He says, you're going to let that little son of a bitch make you cry? And he talks about how MJF whipped Cody like a dog. He cursed a lot here. I'm not sure if he went over on the cursing allowance for the show. He says he's not here to praise Cody. He's here to slay him. Yes, queen. He says he has a client. The dark side is coming to AEW. I would have left maybe this part out because too much, as Tony Khan would say, spooky corporations. So, new interpretation on that. I think he also called Cody the Rebel Alliance or something like that effect. He's making a Ugh. distinct uh, metaphor here saying, you know, Cody, the embodiment of AEW is the Rebel Alliance. The dark side, therefore, would be the Empire, which gives credence to the idea that he's going to mandate somebody from WWE. Uh, now that's clever if, if i'll go with you that's clever especially since jake is obviously most closely aligned with wwe yeah and the other thing about this is there was a lot of uh allegory to the murder of julius caesar that happened on the ides of march 
and someone's contract or non-compete should be up on the Ides in March, and that would make sense for them to be making their debut on the 18th. So there's a lot of like interplay here that Jake does. And of course, Jake, like giving a promo like this just ruled. So, but yeah, like this, this owned, and I think everything about it was great. And I think that it, it was a point I made on Twitter of like, they're obviously going to be doing Cody versus Monster of the Arc kind of feuds until they kind of figure out like, is he really going to be the person that stays away from the title, the whole existence of his career or the promotion, or are they going to eventually like find a way to work it back to him? And if this is what they're going to be doing, like this is a way to start this off and kick it off the bang. So I'm for it. Jake went on. This was a somewhat of a long promo from Jake. He says it's been 20 years for him, 20 years to get clean, to get right. The crowd erupted for uh, Jake's newfound sobriety. He says, and if you think for one minute, I'm going to be a nice boy, you got another thing coming. And then I just, I love this part of the promo. He talks about how for years he said, I put a snake in a bag just to make people think about it. And once you think about it, I'm snaking your ass. Great stuff from Jake. Uh, he says he's going to be outside the ring when his client faces Cody. Cody can bring that one trick pony, Arn Anderson. But what a snake wants, a snake takes. And he's not here in AEW to take the whole pie. Just your share. Fucking ruled. But then he ended this promo this kind of is what I'm getting at with the, the Mox promo. He doesn't really nail the landing. Jake knows how to nail the landing. He says, a wise man once told me, never turn your back on someone you respect or you're afraid of. And then he immediately turns around with his back to Cody, throws the mic over his shoulder. Fucking excellent. Great finish. I will say, I'll be like the semi-dissenting. A lot of good content in this promo. He needed to let a little bit of it breathe a little more because he hit you with a lot very quickly. And it's like, I, you know, let it breathe a little more, maybe. Um, you know, he did a speech of like his Hall of Fame induction that was just like unbelievably charismatic. Crowd was hanging on every word and he milked it for every last second and really just like owned the entire room. And he didn't have that presence here. It felt like he was out there. He hit his lines and he left. And I, I just it needed a little more room to breathe or something. I think that's fair. I think it was Jake's first chance of like probably cutting a promo that he had written on his own on TV in who knows how long, you know, literally maybe the 90s is the last time he got a chance to do that. So I think he was probably a little excited, but a lot of these lines really hit. And it just it reminded me and I was talking about this with someone that, and I said I hate to sound like uh, Jim Cornette, but it just reminded me that. The people that we talk about being the really good promos today, they're still not on this guy's level. They're still not Jake Roberts. They're not even Arn Anderson for my money. So it's just um, it's amazing to get to see this guy. They, they've done some bad things with legends and bringing them in. I was very critical of the Diamond Dallas Page arc. This is a great way to use Jake Roberts. He's got that buy-in from the crowd. He can immediately give the rub to whoever he's about to to bring in. And also, he can talk for them and do it successfully. Well, you know, it's uh, symptomatic of this whole generation of talent coming up in an era where they didn't have to cut promos and talk people into buildings and do any of that stuff. And all the promos that they saw on television were, you know, written by the same 12 guys in a writer's room and using the same verbiage over and over again. And, you know, when people grow up on that diet of promos, they're not going to learn how to promo like the old school guys, I guess. So again, you kind of have to give people a pass because of how WWE has ruined wrestling for like multiple generations. 
Yeah, and this is actually another benefit of having Jake as a uh, manager or second or however they're going to term it is, as you said, like how badly like they've broken the promo thing. The person he's probably going to be attached to is someone that never cut promos in WWE. And I think that that's going to be a great call having him with that person. So I think that this is just a brilliant idea. It's completely kind of turned my expectation for the next three weeks on his head. And I'm excited to see the big debut and how this is going to play out. I can't wait to see this story play out now. I'm like, Jake Roberts talked me into it. Uh, yeah, very very funny because you were extremely concerned about what they were going to do with Cody after this feud and after he uh, has no you know world title uh, belt to chase. Yeah, and I'm still concerned about that. Like, I'm not sure that Cody can maintain this this level of buy-in from the fans without a world title to chase or an overarching villain to go after. You know, like if there was this MJF thing that kept kind of hanging over top and he was yeah. still trying to get there and trying to get there. But now like we've already had that and he fucking lost. So, well, I think that's probably going to be the longer term idea. You know, right. MJF right, went right back to promoing on Cody in his segment on this show. Um, but you know, they're going to, uh, Mike was correct. He called Cody Sisyphus. Uh, we're just going to see Cody continuing to have these obstacles thrown in front of him. Um, and you know, despite, uh, you know, we were uh, being a little dramatic about it, but despite the tattoo, despite the loss, no diminishment of his reaction on this show, whatever. He came out, got the biggest reaction on the show. People were hanging on his every word, you know, still still seemed like he was the ace of this company, uh, you know, despite all those, you know, maybe momentary things that were working against him. Then we got the the Pack Orange Cassidy video recap, and that fed right into Pack defeating Chuck Taylor with the Brutalizer which I think we discussed at length. After the match, Trent comes in, gets in Pac's face, and Orange Cassidy pushes Trent out of the way, gets in Pac's face himself, himself rather, and then the Lucha Brothers come out. They attack the best friends and Orange, and we get Pac on the mic announcing that he's formed a new group, the Death Triangle. He says it in Spanish, or they say it in Spanish. I'm not going to try. Uh, he says, no one is safe, and they lay out Orange Cassidy. So, a lot of units forming in AEW. Hell yeah. And that's the best kind of wrestling is the wrestling that has a whole bunch of units and teams playing off each other. So, you know, I mean, we've seen this with like Dragon Gate and New Japan. This gets people to have their guys and their, and, or, well, I mean, Stardom took it from, uh, I think it was Kagetsu, who was the person who said, like, let's have units and let's do they, it that they way. They actually originated units. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when stardom existed, like, back in the 80s with Isha and Gundam. Yeah, right. totally. Exactly. But, yeah, totally. But, yeah, no, this rules, and I'm stoked to see how this goes. And I think that this is, like, the best use of all six guys, especially with how the Lucha Bros, their whole thing with, like, them and AAA. Like, it makes sense for them to have, like, a, a unit where they can just come out here, and they've already booked them in their first trios match, and I'm stoked for it. Extremely cool unit. Uh, the Lucha Bros really love calling things De La Muerte. Um, which is funny. Um, and yeah, you've got three guys here who are like established badasses, have crowd buy-in, you know, are dangerous and semi-protected, but have not super found a role or been super well-featured where they feel like, you know, they're uh, uh, anchoring a division or anything like that. So you would think that this unit helps them, all of them find a little bit of a place uh, and, you know, they did 
on the cruise made a reference to, hey, you know, maybe we do a, a trios tournament on next year's cruise or something like that, determine a champion. That could be a, a great sort of way to belt them up and have them establish a niche when they're not being used in bigger programs elsewhere on the card. Then we saw Sean Spears backstage with Tully Blanchard, and he says he's still looking for a tag partner, which was a story, I don't know, many, many months ago. And he says they will be uh, taking submissions uh, via the hashtag search for Spears. Yeah, I guess you could, you know, he did have tag matches after that. So I guess those could be continuations of that searching for story. Uh, but just want to thank Mr. Spears for unblocking us on Twitter. Uh, tell Joey to unblock us also. Jake Hager in his second AEW match and his second match in one week defeated QT Marshall with some sort of choking move. It's a head and arm choke. Okay, well, I wrote that. Was this also a head and arm choke? I wrote in the notes, but nobody nobody wrote yes next to it. I mean, I, I, I bailed you out once. I thought you would pick up on that's a head and arm choke. No, I'm very dumb. Very dumb. So am I. So it makes sense. Brain very bad. Yeah, this match was there. Like I love whenever I get QT out there doing unlikely high flying, I'm for it. But uh, there's so much Jake Hager I could take on my TV and wrestling. In this, we already passed our weekly allotment with uh, Revolution, and this match went way over that. After the match, Dustin is out. He's attacking Jake Hager. Santana and Ortiz come in, and we get Cody out to make the big save. So there's a lot of different parts in the show where we're building like, ooh, could these be the the teams for uh, the War Games match? You know, so it's, that's kind of fun. Uh, Ortiz hits Cody with a chair. Matt Jackson alone comes out to make the save. He super kicks Santana and Ortiz. He faces off with Hager, who gets the better of Matt, of course. And then we see Paige kind of stumbling down the ramp. He's got a drink in his hand. His Chiron says... Whooped both their asses. Good little callback and funny. He sits his drink on the ring post, attacks and takes out Santana and Ortiz. Hager kind of gets the upper hand on Paige, but then Paige ends up outside of the ring, does the buckshot lariat, grabs his drink. Uh, Matt kind of makes this gesture to Adam Page, like that maybe they're going to squash their beef. And instead, Adam Page sticks a big middle finger right in Matt Jackson's face and goes out to the crowd to collect beers. Yeah, uh, buddy, uh, Paige, don't you know that there is this epidemic going around here? And, you know, that's a very quick way of having the epidemic spread to the roster, buddy. But like, hey, good on you for getting six free beers. Yeah, I, when you take that many, I guess I bail them out from drinking them because it's like, oh, my bet will be that I'll carry a bunch of them. And then I don't have to actually drink any of them. Um, this week here on television, we saw Matt Jackson trying to squash the beef. Hangman was like, fuck no. Listen to the BTE quick hits from Light. Matt Jackson, even before the match, was like, hey, Kenny, man, tell Hangman, no matter what happens, you know, we're always going to be the elite. We're always going to be bigger than this. And we're always going to be boys or whatever. So, you know, again, he's acting in a friendly, reconciliatory way. He just wants to be friends with his friend. And his friend keeps, you know, flicking him off and spitting on him and kicking his head off and shit. So, uh, crowd loves it, but I'm just telling you what's uh, what, what's happening in the text here. Well, it's easy when you're the loser to uh, want to make up. Uh, again, this is before the match occurred. He's saying, hey, man, no matter how crazy it gets, we're always going to be part of the elite. That's because he knew they were going to lose. I mean, he just he knew it going in. It was coward shit. <laughs> coward shit. 
<laughs> but you agree that the crowd erupted when he flipped off Matt Jackson, yeah, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah. So No, I can't hear. My hearing is gone and I only hear Well, you told crap. me that you told me they were booing uh or that they were fuck, I can't remember now, but you said yeah. something on Revolution. Whatever was I said was right. Yeah, you're right. I agree. <laughs> but this was what inspired me to think like, wait, if they try to go more heel with Adam Page, is the crowd going to accept it? And if they reject it, how will AW react? That's interesting to me. It's like a yeah. subtext. It's a big question mark hanging. It is. We see MJF. He's backstage with Wardlow. He's got a huge Band-Aid on his forehead. It's very big. He says he pins shoulders to mats and bangs rats. A lot of banging references from MJF on AW Dynamite. Well, I'll get to this. He says he went from protege to prodigy, uh, but AEW fans need a head author they can count on. Uh, he says he's ultimately he's going to be the best AEW world champion in history. Uh, you schmucks heard me. So did John Moxley. Talks about how he's going to work to become the number one contender. So this works with what we were talking about. Of like, where are we going from here? Who's going to be a Moxley challenger? MJF setting himself up. He takes off his blazer to show a shirt that says, I pinned Cody in the style of I broke Wahoo's neck. Uh, he says, this shirt is obnoxious and distracting, kind of like a neck tattoo as he walks off. Probably his best promo in a while. I thought, I this, thought this sucked shit. Really? Oh, why, why'd you hate it? Let's get into this. The lines were cheesy as fuck. Okay, I didn't think that. It had none. Like When he's really doing his heel shtick, it has a little charm to it. This came off as like, Hmm. absolute boring rote um just the same old shit that like a heel would have said in fucking 1982 i just i got no interest in it but this is like completely different than what he did all the time through the cody angle where he was doing crowd baiting and then basically saying the same five lines over and over like he's he's putting forth this he's putting forth like his aspirations he did it like a straight down the barrel promo is very like Russell Twitter with the ring light going on there. And I thought that like he did a really uh, strong promo of course, me being me, he made an odyssey comment. So like I'm into it, you know, being the classical studies guy, I am, you got to make some comments about Greek mythology. And I thought that a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Mike putting over his cultural awareness on this show. I, I, I'm a well-read person. <laughs> Just because I like reading books is not mean I'm putting myself over. I, I like to push myself. I like to read a book every once in a while. So a fucking nerd. Oh, no, I, I, entirely. But yeah, no, this was good. <laughs> and I think that the one thing that I didn't like, I actually thought the I pin Cody t-shirt was really kind of hack, but I like the closing line of being the only person bringing up that the tattoo. So I thought the shirt was good. Oh, you see, this is where we flip flop. I, I mean, I think no, the, the shirt, same, the shirt the was hack. Thing. His the hackiness just works in favor of his heelishness. He's like a guy that was who took who his personality was derived from heel promos. He's like a guy who was incubated watching WWF heel promos of the you know uh, uh 70s and 80s, and that just actually formed the person that he is. So even when he's hacky, or even when he you know hits the exact notes that you knew he would like the neck tattoo. It just feels so authentic that it still furthers his character and furthers your understanding of who he is. So it can't be bad. No, the, the neck tattoo stuff is good. The shirt stuff is good. The problem was there were some canned lines in here that were just really poorly conceived. I mean, 
protege to prodigy is fine, but it's not good. But there, I wish I'd read it down. There was one other line in this that just made me want to fucking die. And I'm going to have to go back and watch it and do a whole Patreon episode just on that line because I hated it so much. Pass. But the other stuff, it's whatever. I mean, MJF is not for me. It's like not he's it's not a character that I'm interested in, but I, I understand the appeal and I, I get where you're coming from. But this felt like a, a promo that a WWE writer wrote. OK, moving on. Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara defeated Darby Allen. I put in parentheses and John Moxley. But before you could make it there, three masked guys came out to attack him on the steps. And we saw that it was Hager and Santana and Ortiz. And they were beating him up in the concourse. Ultimately, Sammy pinned Darby after Jericho countered Darby's suicide dive with the Judas effect. Best Judas effect ever. Just the anti-air Judas effects owns. And like, this is just a great match. I thought they had to play this off well. We didn't talk too much about like the masks for the attack on inner circle. But I thought like this for like a 25 minute block of television, they did a really effective job. Yeah. The masks are good just because Jericho's established that as his little gimmick over the last few years, even going back to WWE at one point, he put on like a Sin Cara mask and attacked somebody from the crowd, you know, did it to evil, did it to Naito. Um, has, I'm sure done it to other people in New Japan that aren't coming to mind at the moment, but just funny to see that be like, a, oh, hey, here's a trick, guys. You can imagine, you know, in your head canon, the, the the inner circle conversation that leads to them doing the exact same thing. And it's just fun to see, you know, fun to see in wrestling, like a protege pick something up for a mentor. That's just like one of those fun little callbacks and tie-ins that, you know, rewards you for watching. Well, Santana and Ortiz also did the Rick and Morty mask, didn't they? No, that was uh, the best friends did those. Santana Damn Ortiz it. did the uh, dead president's mask. Dead president. That's what I was thinking. Okay. I don't know. They did the uh, masks too because they attacked uh, the Rock and Roll Express after having the masks on, the Rick and Morty masks in West Virginia. Oh, maybe oh, I am okay. right. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, because they gave out to all the crowd. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. actually helping make your point here, Nate, that they had yeah. picked it up from their mentor. I was just thinking of. The actual match was the best friends it cosplaying as Rick yeah. and Morty. Right, yeah. But I believe you are correct. After the match, while the inner circle is celebrating, John Moxley comes down the ramp with a chair, clears the ring. Jake Hager attacks him from behind. Santana and Ortiz throw Moxley up the ramp. And we see the inner circle uh, beating Moxley down at the top of the ramp. Ultimately, they give him the triple power bomb from the stage through a couple of tables. And then they get together. And everybody uh, puts together their their hands and flips off John Moxley. Uh, well, let's. I, I have another question to ask, but let's. Your reaction to uh, this angle? Good angle. They, uh, you know, cute little reference with the shield power bomb and middle finger little party there. Um, you know, well, I guess we're, we're going to talk about this next, um, so I'll save that. But yeah, I thought it was a good angle. Came off well. Um, you know, they they juked us on Chris Jericho leaving because, you know, it was like, oh, he's got a tour coming up. People are going to think that he's leaving. So we'll do a little story here. And they swerved us on it. But, uh, you know, worked in a, a successful way, I thought. Yeah. Uh, Jericho's tour starts in April. So it makes sense that they were going to kind of like juke him out and then have something happen later on. I thought that this was worked really well. And I had something that I was going to propose to you all about this because it's clear at least to me unless they decide to go dark order and the true exalted one on one side of the cage which i doubt do 
do you see something like over the next few weeks where they're going to like have like Moxley really badly wanting to get his hands on the entire inner circle, him and like Darby and like that. And then you also have like the elite and nightmare family. Could they like do something with this over the next few weeks where they try to like fight for the right to get the inner circle, be the ones that get their hands on the inner circle in this kind of match. Cause I think that would be really kind of interesting. And that was the thing that kind of popped in my head when like, when I watched this and when I saw this, cause this is the same stuff the inner circle did to the bucks. This is, I thought it was a really strong close. And I thought that it was funny that they did the uh, assisted power bomb, like straight up out of the shield and then flip them off. I thought that was kind of like a touch. I know that there were some people that thought it was lame. I thought it was great. I thought that this made sense here. And like, you're not supposed to like them. Like, like they should be annoying. And now all the baby faces should have a reason now to want to be in the cage against them in Newark. Yeah. I mean, I, it does. It seems like we've had multiple faction feuds here at the inner circle at the center of them. So yeah, it's a question is who's going to get that cage match. I hope they don't do like two cage matches. That would be dumb. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I I don't have a lot of enthusiasm for the War Games concept, but a big stack, faction, stable warfare story would be cool. You know, you hope it has some sort of consequences or payoff. They, okay, but here's but they should do it in a way where one of the factions in like this faction war represents like white people and one is like black people and one is like latinx people I mean, that's a new idea for like a faction war you calling back to the wwf of the mid 90s yeah, yeah yeah i'm saying they should do nation of domination versus what was the nazi stable called um yeah, the biker one. It had all the bikers in it. The Disciples of Apocalypse. That's right. I hate that I remember this. Like this was like right as the time I was getting through wrestling. This shit was on because it was because it was Nation Domination versus the Cycles of Apocalypse versus Los Bariquas. Los Bariquas. Yeah. Right. I'm basically the guy, the kid in the GIF of like the uh, the white kid putting his yeah. fist up for the Nation of Domination. Yeah, I know. That's who I supported in the in the stable wars. Uh, so. I don't know. That's basically it. I mean, that's the show. Yeah. That's well, I, so here's our next point is your next, your, your, your other topic here is Lance Archer debut. And he did not appear on this show. Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to come up at the end here, right? Yeah. I thought it was going to sure. be Moxley, you know, uh, runs off the inner circle with a chair or gets right. a, a moment of respite from fending them off with a chair. Lance Archer comes out, you know, choke slams him through the ring. You got an easy thing there. Oh, Moxley, you took my IWGP US title. Uh, now I'm going to take your AEW title. You've immediately got a big feud with a fresh guy to, you know, maybe just do a <clears throat> quick month build to that or something. But no, was not on the show whatsoever. Yeah, like that was a thing because this week was when they're supposed to address it. They, like they were saying like, oh, yeah, the uh, murder hawk's coming his way to AEW and they had the graphic and they dropped it. And I mean, I know a friend of the show, Raul, found the video clip because I spent some time last night looking for when they like mentioned because I remember the AEW Twitter did and they like pulled down like that graphic that was the end of the video clip from their Twitter account, even though they still have like the Lance Archer is all elite thing. So mm-hmm. that was yeah, kind of the, interesting. The video clip from the show did not explicitly say he would be on the show. I believe the tweet said he would be in Colorado. Right. Um, but that tweet was at some point deleted. So uh not again managing expectations in this promotion. This is, you know, maybe the first 
thing where they've advertised something, not delivered it, you know, other than like, uh, you know, an injury or something that made them change plans through no fault of their own. Uh, but yeah, that, a lot of people, I imagine there's a big core of people out there that were like, I thought Matt Hardy was going to be on this show. I thought Lance Archer was going to be on this show. Neither happened. So I hated it. Like, you know, we're, we're not that, uh, 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 reactionary to it, I guess, but I don't doubt that there are some people out there that are thinking that way. And I could understand the Lance Archer point, but the Matt Hardy point, I think, is like prime reactionary because to our knowledge, he's still in negotiations with both WWE and AEW, even though like WWE did like, oh, the 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 uh, pro the uh, post where it was like, oh, no, we thank him for his con- creative contributions thing like that doesn't mean shit. So but but yeah, no, like the Lance Archer thing, like I wonder what is up. And as we're recording, we've been kind of looking to see if the observer was get posted to see if there's going to be any kind of information on this. But yeah, this is like one of the bigger bait and switches, I guess one could argue that they've had. Well, shit, not only did they not deliver on Lance Archer, they didn't deliver on Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara versus Darby Allen and John Moxley. <laughs> yeah, I can, you know, and again, a lot of heat on this show, a lot of heels getting the bad of the baby faces. I can imagine people in this audience that went home and went, Oh, that was a downer. You know, we didn't get this. We didn't get this. And, uh, you know, Colt Cabana got one win. And other than that, it was kind of a bummer of a show. Yeah, I think it's like it's to their credit that they bait and switched on the main event. And still the crowd was really hot for the whole match. Mm -hmm. And it's also to Darby Allen's credit and of course and of course Jericho and Guevara. But the promotion has built up a level of goodwill that the fans are willing to go along with it. But. From my perspective, I guess I don't understand. So the the Meltzer reporting was basically they want to they want to spread out the debuts. It's like, okay, but then you should have debuted somebody last night because then you could spread out the other ones. Otherwise, that means Lance Archer isn't showing up for many more weeks. Yeah, uh, I think that was his speculation more than his explicit reasoning for it uh, on the Observer Radio. He did just say that you know this was a actual thing where they changed their mind and, and changed their plans, you know, uh, later in the process, then, uh, I guess you would have to, to get your social media correct. Um, but yeah, um, you know, it's kind of a larger question where, you know, again, Matt Hardy was not advertised for this show, but the bucks were on his vlog. There was an understanding that he was at, done with WWE and, you kind of have to take fans as they come if you want to win them over to your side, right? So even if it's not entirely reasonable to expect them to be on this show, that doesn't mean that the expectation doesn't exist among, you know, some group of fans. Um, and that's kind of a, you know, if you're in a enterprise like this where you have to make fans or you have to uh, get votes at every opportunity, you kind of have to take some people as they come, even if it's not reasonable, even if it's uh, totally logical. You know, we've talked about uh, the uh, undecided voter and how they're totally illogical and have no basis in reality for the way they make their decisions. But if you want that vote, you kind of have to deal with it. So uh, I'm just drawing a, a extended uh, strained metaphor here to our uh, most recent uh, 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 bout of electioneering, I guess. Which also goes in with uh, dealing with the expectations game, I think. <laughs> yeah. Could have made that same that same tie. Okay, I think that's the show from Denver, uh, the Dynamite Show. It's not the end of everything elite, folks. We still got some stuff to talk about. Here's what they filmed for Dark. Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy took on Peter Avalon and Kip Sabian. Jimmy Havoc 
wrestled Severino Corrente. I don't know who that is. Hikaru Shida took on someone I really don't know who they are. I don't even know how to pronounce this. I'm going to go with Abadon as if it's a, uh, a Mexican or Spanish name. Does anybody know? Um, so I know Abaddon. Abaddon? Abaddon? The, the Hebrew term Abaddon and its Greek oh. equivalent. Apollon. Apollon. Mike, help me out. Apollon. Apollinus? A-P-O-L-L-Y-O-N. Oh, Apollon. Apollon. Yeah. Apollon. A place of destruction and an angel of the abyss in the Bible. Right. So uh, you see that in your, uh, you know, your Warhammers or your Baldur's Gates or whatever <laughs> from time to time, your Abaddons. But yeah. This, is, this does have one fewer D than that. Yeah. Like, that's what I was going to say. Like, I was more familiar from, like, Warhammer, Baldur's Gate, Abaddon. But, yeah. Well, no I idea. looked her up and I found her Twitter. Okay. And it just says, I am, whatever, Abaddon, mm -hmm. Abaddon, living dead girl. Sorry, Apollyon. It's got to be Apollyon. Apollyon, yeah. Apollyon, yeah, yeah. Living Dead Girl, RMP Dead, I Am the Dog, Hound of Hell You Cry, Devil on Your Back, I Can Never Die. All right. Uh, Sounds okay. good. Good gimmick. Uh, well, what, about, so, what about the uh, good Italian boy, Severino Corriente? I mean, anything on him? Uh, local guy is was the understanding that I got. Okay. okay. But I'm not familiar with him. I didn't know if they maybe got a care Francesco after Japan shut down. They did a nice swoop and pick up him. I thought that could have been like his. A... Did you say RMP on the Abaddon? Abaddon? Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. Rocky okay, Mountain yeah. Pro. Yeah, Severino Corrente, also a lot of YouTubes here from Rocky Mountain Pro. So, okay. So that's probably they just got some local folks. So it's, didn't we talk about that on the, yeah, on the Patreon QA? We talked about they should just. Use some folks from the, the local promotion, although they didn't do a thing like putting over the promotion or anything, but or maybe they did off camera and we don't know about it. The main event, Private Party took on Sonny Kiss and Brandon Cutler. So we'll be talking about all that on AEW Light on Wednesday. And Nate will also be on AEW Light on Wednesday talking about all the vlogs. Oh, yeah. And next week, March 11, they'll be in Salt Lake City, Utah. And the only match we have announced is... Death Triangle taking on Private Party and the bad boy, Joey Janela. Great match. Yes. Private Party's been like uh, nowhere to be found for some time. They were in a six-man pretty recently on Dynamite, right? I, let me look at my notes. Like two weeks ago? I think it was like about two weeks ago they were on. Uh, <laughs> it's it been a while. Runs, it all runs together for me, folks. It, it kind of does. Uh yeah, they were in the tag team battle royal in Atlanta. Okay, they were so. in a six. They were in a main event six man, like relatively recently. Huh. <laughs> well, there you go. With Darby, private party, and Darby. Oh, that that sounds that vaguely team? familiar. Against, I, I believe it. LAX and uh, Jericho, uh, Sammy Guevara. Yeah, no, no it, maybe Jericho. It was in Cleveland. It was Jericho, Santana Ortiz, with uh, Darby Allen and private party. Mike pulling out the literal notebook, the physical notebook to check the facts. <laughs> it has AEW on it. It exists. <laughs> check the facts. All face right. the facts. Come on. I know. I, I was changing it. I was riffing off of face the facts. Mike, this is really going to go well on your panels on the light British entertainment. <laughs> I, I they, go along with the riffs. Uh, they like repartee. They like people being combative towards each other. So, yes, mm. I'm going to be fantastic about those. <laughs> I have to be able to argue with Jimmy Carr. 
you, you, you're just the Kentucky and Jimmy Carr, so I'm ready. We for gotta. That. We need to get Jack Whitehall to give you like a mentorship, and that can be a Patreon feature. Jack Whitehall teaches you to be British talk show panel charming. <laughs> I think I could do it. I think that AEW uh, Championship Committee member Jack Whitehall could help a brother out, and we can get this going. Yeah, <laughs> I okay. listen to that. I would definitely listen to that. That sounds excellent, actually. And then I'll do one with Gact. Yes. Well, who am I going to do one with? What do I need to learn? Uh, Yamachan. Uh, Yamachan. Yeah. That'd be good. You can do that. You can do that for the, you know, the TJPW reviews. Will be you and Yamachan since that's DDT adjacent. That's good. I mean, we're similar. We, we both are into wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. Both like wrestling. We both root for people that we don't like to fail. Right. I mean, that's the right. crux of your relationship with them. I feel like. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we've never fucked. So, <laughs> and yeah, you are both married. Yeah. Both married, but never fucked. There you go. Me and Yamachan, plot in common. <laughs> Get a YouTube channel together, you and him. Oh, we could do some great YouTube content. This is a money idea here. All right. Well, I think we throughout the show hit the the other things that we had down at the bottom of our run sheet that are eight dollar circle subscribers already saw hours before we recorded this show and literal fucking days sometimes before the uh show comes out so exciting for them so i think that's it you guys got anything else you want to bring up before we go uh yes the observer just came out and i mean those uh, buys yeah uh i'm just looked up lance archer it looks like that according to the to the wrestling observer it's either going to be archer or Brody Lee as Jake Roberts' uh, protege. They said that Archer was scheduled to debut on the uh, March 4th show in Denver, but wasn't there. Nothing was said. So I think if they came, if they just came up with the idea of using Roberts, it would make sense to introduce Roberts first and build intrigue. All we know is that Archer is coming soon, and there was a change in plans during the week regarding his introductions. Lee was expected to debut on 318 in Rochester, and uh, that was the big thing there. If you it, uh, talk about Yamachan for one more second, and I'll look up pay per view buys. Unless Nate's doing it right now, trying to. No, I'm not. What else about Yamachan? Well, I've kind of hit. There was there, there was a period where I was a little tired of his uh, his misanthropy. Really? <laughs> Missing briefly. I discussed it on the Patreon. I think. Fuck. How do you say that word? Misanthropy. 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 Okay. Yeah, because it would be misanthropic, um, right? But I've come back around on it. He's become, you know, a, a little more likable, I think. The other guy, the tax cheats, you know, the real funny guy, though, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I like Yamachan because everybody else is, well, I can't wait, honestly. I can't wait for us all to talk about some of these episodes because the panel really just blows my mind at times. I think it's mostly a cultural thing of like things that they really don't respond to that I'm hmm. like, seriously, you guys are that worked up about this thing? So I'm interested here. I, I can't. A lot of times where they'll talk about somebody being uh, uh, <laughs> not seeming entirely sincere or whatever. And you'd be like, yeah. well, I can't detect that at all because it's not, no. I don't speak this language, obviously. <laughs> so those minor little subtle, uh, you know, things that are communicating that they're insincere or two-faced or whatever, you know, news to me, I would have no idea. Yeah. Okay. So found the stuff quick. I one more point there. Uh, oh, no. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. Go the other right thing ahead. I can never guess that they're going <laughs> to okay. do is like think something is super horny. Like sometimes wow. they'll be like, so there's this, there's this part, I think it's on uh, Boys and Girls in the City, where somebody like touched 
a, a guy touched a girl's leg and they were like, that's fucking, they fucked just now. <laughs> oh God. I'm trying, I think that was, um, I think it involved Armin. I want to say, I can't remember, but it was like, yeah. they fucked all, everybody on the panel was like, Hmm. Dicks out. That's what that was. But then there'll be times where, or uh, for, one time people shared a drink and they were like, holy oh, shit, you drank after kiss. the other person? Uh, uh, that's, that's a big thing in uh, Japanese culture, I think. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, then of course there's a character that Nate hasn't gotten to who's the most extra person who did right. say drinking. I didn't want to go there yet. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Then something will happen and I can't say what happened because it's in the future and Nate hasn't seen it yet. And I'll think, Oh man, I can't wait to hear them talk about how dirty that was, how horny those people got, and they'll be like, "What a sweet interaction!" <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? I, I can't. I'm not like synced up with the cultural more. Yeah. yeah, the cultural mores is something that you, it, it sometimes will be just be like a curveball for you. But so here are here's what Dave Meltzer says about this. They don't have the cable numbers yet, but for iPay per view through BR Live, it was up more than 10% from full gear and at the same level as Double or Nothing in the range of 37,000, which is an excellent number for iPay-per-views. The fight number were the highest for any AEW show to date, which would mean it would be among the highest of that platform for any event in history, so that this is a chance that this could be one of the highest ones. The UK market no longer had television pay-per-views, so fight was the only way to get it to get it legally. The number of UK toll buyers will be down, but that was unavoidable with the closing of ITV box office and being unable to get a new pay-per-view platform. Indications based on data is that it would have been second behind double or nothing of the four shows based on BR, BR Live and fight, and fight numbers, but the cable numbers aren't in. Germany TV numbers aren't as big, but are new, and you lose some in the UK. But it's, So it's not a lock that it will be number two, so probably not as high as All Out, but it will beat full gear. So I think we're talking about eighty to 90,000, I guess, is what I, I, that's my assumption from that paragraph. Uh, I also just scrolling through here. I also see that a the Dynamite won Television Show of the Year, uh, Double or Nothing won Major Wrestling Show of the Year, and perhaps my favorite AEW thing mentioned in the oh, I, we should say the Observer Newsletter came out with the the annual awards. This episode or this uh, issue has the annual awards, and for most discussing. Disgusting promotional tactic. Number seven, WWE counter-programming AEW fight for the fallen charity show. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, of course, was WWE continuing to do business in Saudi Arabia. So Sounds about right. Uh, if you want much more timely awards, uh, patreon.com slash everything elite to vote in the AEW EE pod awards. That'll That's be right. Next year. So you got to stay subscribed for a long time. <laughs> that's right. So you can only vote if you're subscribed every month of the year, actually. Ooh, that's a new twist. <laughs> Those are the rules. So be too hard to track. Too lazy to track that. Yeah. Not, not ever going to find out. Um, tag match. I don't spoil me on everything. I was going to sit down and read it with my dinner here. I'm sorry. I was just trying to see what he what he rated it. But okay. oh, 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 that's fine. You can find that. Just start typing in asterisks until you get to. It's got to be six, right? Six so stars. F, yeah. Six stars for the tag match. That's actually. I'm, I thought he was going to go like six point two five. Three stars for Hager versus Dustin Rhodes. Scout here, Dave. Three, three quarters <laughs> for Darby and Sammy. Two stars for the women's match. Of course, that was definitely worse than Jake Hager versus Dustin Rhodes. But but we are missing the most important news out of this 
issue. The women's wrestling MVP finishing 10th, Momo Wanabe with 24. Yeah. Honorable mention, Arisa Hoshiki, 15. So you got to one more accounts, AB. Arisa. Yes! Yes! Fuck. This is... <laughs> I would like to accept this award on behalf of <laughs> You are you are wearing her sweatshirt. I'm wearing a Momo Watanabe sweatshirt right now. Uh, yeah. I just I want to say how proud we are of the voters for being able to realize that Momo is better. Thank y'all for listening, Arisa. everyone. We will... <laughs> yeah, great episode. <laughs> oh, uh, match of the year was uh, Will versus Shingo. The uh, highest AEW finisher was Cody versus Dustin at. All at double or nothing bucks versus lucha brothers and the uh what was it escalera de la muerte match and all out finished seventh for match of the year all right well i guess that's pretty much it uh we were trying to stop and then dave dropped us with some pay-per-view buy info right at the end i, I knew this would happen i like had a sneaking okay. suspicion so there we go that's okay uh who was the overall mvp of the year to jari cover that i was too busy reading something no. else no, I moved on. Oh uh, yeah, Chris Jericho won the uh, Fez Flair Award with uh, by six hundred by about six hundred points over Kazuchika Okada. Cody finished fourth with eight sixty five. John Moxley was in eighth at two seventeen. There That's you great. go. Now they got to get uh, Jericho on the on the show to talk about it, and he can put himself over. Be <laughs> great listening. Absolutely, but yeah. Okay. Well. I think that's it for the show. We meandered enough here at the end. Yeah. I think I'm getting some um, echo. I was for a second. Anyway, everything elite is the name of our show. Subscribe to the podcast, rate and review, all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, most importantly, go check out patreon.com slash everything elite and uh, give us a shot. That's it. So for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next week.